We are glad that you are here today. Um, what, a, what a wonderful time it is of season. As, as Michael said and Steve said, this is a time that Christians are able to celebrate uh, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Um, this sermon, um, anytime we come to the crucifixion and the Easter service, I get extremely, extremely nervous to how to present the gospel in a way, how to present the crucifixion in a way that we've heard from many of us since we've been little, to be able to impact our lives. And I realize it's not my job to impact your life. It is truly the Holy Spirit's job to impact your life and to teach you and to instruct you on in the ways of, of Christ. So, so this, this week has been uh, a very emotional week for, for me, my wife. It's just, I, I guess I'm getting older. Um, so I, the, the more, more Hallmark channels I watch, the, the more uh, even commercials, uh, we don't even have TV, but it's interesting. This week has been very, very emotional for me. It's just, I've had some ups and downs. I've had some real exciting things happen in my life this week, and I've had some very, um, some very detrimental things going on in my life as well. And so as I was preparing this sermon I, several weeks ago, it was difficult to get this sermon to, to come to fruition. And it's interesting, as we look at the scriptures today, we're going to look at several scriptures. The, the, the main emphasis I want to preach on today is that God is bigger than your sin. And there's a lot of times when we come into church, that when we come into church, we feel deflated, we feel defeated, we feel like everyone and everything is against us. And even if you're a Christian, sometimes you feel that way. And I, and I want you to understand today that it is not based upon our feelings that we can look to the scriptures, but it's based upon the facts, what Jesus Christ did for you and what he did for me as well. And that's, a, and that's an exciting, exciting thing. So I want you to understand that today's sermon is about the cross. As, as Pastor Steve said earlier, it's about the triumphal entry going to Jerusalem. And I, I love that scenario, but I'm going to try to cram five days of, of things that took place into a 45-minute sermon. And to do that, we really can't do a lot of justice. But as, as we look at this, I want you to understand that this sermon is all about Christ, but also it's all about you as well. That this sermon is just about what Jesus had planned to do before the foundations of the world that he knew was going to take place even before he went to Jerusalem, before the world was created. God knew he was going to have to sacrifice his son for your sins and my sins. Now, I will tell you, my friends, I, I like many of you. I like all of you, actually, the people I know. I shouldn't, shouldn't leave anyone out. Uh, there are some people that really are trying uh, on the first row. Uh, <laughs> I make no eye contact with people, um, but, but it's interesting that Jesus loved us so much who was willing to die. I, I love you people, but I, don't, I would not give my son up for you. I would not be willing to do that, to go to that measure of saying, I love you so much. Here's my son. You can sacrifice him. And here's the interesting thing. From the very beginning of the book of Genesis, all the way back to the book of Genesis, all the way through Revelation, blood is a major part of the picture. In Genesis chapter 3, we find God making the first sacrifice for Adam and Eve to cover their sinfulness, to cover their nakedness, and God sacrificed an animal. So blood was shed in order for sins to be able to be covered. In the New Testament, we are told that the blood of Jesus, the last sacrifice offered to God, covered the nakedness of the sin that we have today. It's interesting. I, I, I love how we worship to some of those old hymns. And here's an old hymn that many of you would know. 
If I was like Michael, if I was like Steve, I was singing this, but I am, I am not like them, so I will not be singing. It says, would you be free from the burden of sins? There is power in the blood. Would you over evil a victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. What can wash my sins away? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sins? What can make me whole again? What can make me white as snow? No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Those hymns that we sing, we declare, is a story that we read in John chapter 19, and it's just about Jesus bleeding, the suffering, and the death. And that story is why Jesus suffered, why he died, and why he bled. So the question is, I have to ask myself, what did God's plan have to have blood as a solution for mankind? Why did God choose to bring death in order to our sins to be forgiven? What, what was the whole purpose? God could have chosen many aspects, many avenues to be able to be forgive sins, but for some reason he chose blood in order to be able for sins to be forgiven. And there's some scriptures I want to cover with that. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. This is interesting. It says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of the blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. Do you understand that in order for, for sins to be forgiven, blood had to be shed? There had to be a perfect sacrifice in order for your sins and my sins to be, be forgiven in order for us to be able to approach the throne room of God. Here's a horrible story. I remember reading this in college. When I was in college, um, we, we, we had um, camps that would go, or we had kids that would go out and do church camps and, and just kind of entertain the kids. And uh, they were talking about the resurrection. They were talking about the crucifixion. And so this is a fourth and fifth grade class that the, the, this college kids are teaching. And they bring in a lamb, and they're showing how perfect this little lamb is. And all of a sudden, they take a knife, and they cut the lamb's throat. Yeah. They wanted to show, not a good thing to do, okay? <laughs> Especially to fourth and fifth graders. Very, very, very impactful in someone's life when you see a lamb and their throat being slit. But I want you to understand, my friend, something we have almost glorified, we have almost ignored, is how messy blood is. We truly, when we think about the crucifixion, when we think about what Jesus did upon the cross, we think it was relatively a clean act until we start reading the scriptures and we forget how much blood there truly was that Jesus shed for you and he shed for I. You know, that's why, that's why a child will always go to his mom when, 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 when they get hurt. You know, when they are bleeding, they go to mom, they don't go to me, for sure, because I'll say, hey, watch the carpet. Don't get blood on the carpet. It's messy, it stains, it's hard to get out. You know, get off the carpet. Go see your mom. And, and they learn that from very, very, and I'm good with blood, but it's just like, no. Anyway, that's kind of a side note, not in my notes. That's why I should stick to my notes. But anyway, God chose that blood be shed in order for your sins and my sins to be forgiven. Here's another scripture. It says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, In him we have the redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. You have to understand before I begin talking about the crucifixion, why the blood had to be shed. 
Because if the blood was not shed from a perfect sacrifice, then nothing was going to bring us atonement. Nothing was going to bring that redemption to you and I, to our Heavenly Father. We would always be at far from God. If the blood was never shed, we would still be at a distance from our Heavenly Father. But it's only because the blood was shed that we have this intimate relationship with God Almighty. It's the only reason why we are able to say, God, here I am. Do with you what you would want. Do with me what you would want. And I tell you, my friends, if you are defeated and you are feeling depressed and you have issues, guess what? I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. I know what it feels like. In the very beginning of my notes, it said this. I didn't even read it. It says this. Pastors get a bad rap. People think we have all the answers. They don't know the struggles of our faith. They don't know the struggles of our self-confidence. They don't know how, how hard it is to have to raise perfect people, perfect children. There is no difference between me and you. There is no difference. I, the only difference is I have a microphone and you don't. That's the only difference because I am a wicked, wicked sinner only saved by grace. Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. If you haven't read the book of Revelation lately, read it. I love it. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the rulers of the kings on the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins with his blood. Where did Jesus shed his blood? The beautiful thing is we're going to be able to look at some scriptures here and just some passages of how Jesus shed his blood for you and I. And then we're going to talk about where we are with God and where we are going to be with him afterwards. Here's the interesting thing. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he prays so hard about his upcoming crucifixion, he literally sweated drops of blood. He was praying earnestly, Lord, if there's any other way that this cup will pass from me, please take it. But he, there was no other way. From the beginning of the foundation of the world, God knew his son was going to die. In Pilate's, in Pilate's hall, after being arrested and had gone through several trials, he was brought to Pilate for the final time. Pilate had him, Jesus beat and he was whipped. Whips that was embedded with bits of glass and bones that bit into the skin and tore the muscle and his blood was shed. And those same soldiers came and mocked Jesus. They placed a crown of thorns, of long, sharp thorns upon his head, pushed it down until the blood drew. Later at Calvary, later at Calvary, the soldiers drove nails into his hands and drove another nail through his feet, and his blood was shed. And finally, when he died, a Roman soldier pushed a spear into his side, and blood bringing a sudden flow of water and blood again. Again and again, Jesus shed his blood for you and I. And the Bible, Bible clearly teaches that he was on, this is on purpose because Christ loves you so very much. Amen. This has been planned from the very beginning. You know, it's interesting. We, we, we're in a phase now of our children's lives that a lot of them are exiting our home. And, you know, it's, it's amazing how much joy children can bring to your life. But it's also amazing how much pain children can bring to your life, too. Isn't that the truth? Just the whole process of childbearing. It was very tough on me. <laughs> to hold my wife's hand and to comfort her. It was tough. I know. I'll get emails and text messages on that later. No, but it's interesting that our children, we, we wonder sometimes, you know, we know how much pain and suffering we're going to have raising children and being a pastor and different things. Why do we do it? Because the rewards are so great. And that is why Jesus, that's why God created us. 
even though it was going to cause great pain and suffering for him, he knew you was worth it, that your life to die upon the cross was completely worth his life. And as we look at these scriptures again and again, Jesus shed his blood for us, and the Bible clearly teaches, once again, it was on purpose. Our greatest need is to realize that we are sinners and we are in a rebellious state against God. I want you to understand, my friends, and I can harbor on this all day long, looking at my life, looking at the reflection of how I have failed God, how I have sinned against God. Even after a Christian, I'm wondering, Lord, why do I do the things that I do? But I want you to understand that our greatest need is to realize that we are a sinner. We are rebellious against God. We have this idea today that we are all high-fiving God. Okay, if you're a believer, you can believe that. If you are not a believer, you are an enemy of God Almighty. Your sins are held against you still to this very moment. But I will tell you, I've been to churches where I've heard the preachers preach. Everyone's a believer. Everyone is saved. Everyone, blah, 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 blah. And I really would like to lay hands upon those preachers that are preaching that way with love, with love. It's interesting, Romans chapter 6, verse 6 says this, We know that our old selves was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. I, I want to tell you, I, if you're a non-believer, if you are a, a person looking and searching and, and, and looking for God, man, I don't want to make you feel bad because I was right where you were at one point in life. Michael was, Steve was, our leadership team, everyone here was at some point in life lost without a direction from our Heavenly Father. That we were completely, completely in a, in a land where we were alone and suffering. And as we look at this, I want you to understand that this is a sermon not just to, to belittle you or not to make you feel guilty, but it's a sermon to bring you to a realization that you and I are both horrible, horrible sinners. And that we are not good people, my friends. The scripture tells us, as I've preached before several times before, that the heart is wicked and evil. Who can trust the heart? Today I love my job, tomorrow I hate my job. It's amazing how our feelings are so fickle. A very famous passage from Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What sin does is separates us from God. The rebelliousness we have, our sinful nature, separates us from our Heavenly Father. It brings death and destruction to our life. Jesus going back in Genesis chapter 3, when, Adam, when God had a sacrifice for Adam and Eve, there was a separation from Adam and Eve, from God. He was, they were no longer able to walk with God. They were no longer able to talk with God. What did God do? Get out. He kicked them out. And so somehow God had to bring that relationship back to us, and that is who Jesus Christ. For the wages of sin is death. I might, my friends, I tell you that if you are not a believer, this sermon and next week's sermon is, is right for you. It's truly for you, but it's also truly for us. Because I will tell you, my friends, that before I can preach a sermon, before Michael can preach a sermon, we have to live the sermon before we can actually preach the sermon. And if we don't, then what good is it? Now here, let's get into some of the scriptures. Matthew chapter 27. During the time of Jesus' crucifixion, we find a, a, a character named Barabbas. This is during the trial. This is a time that, do you realize there were six different trials that Jesus had to go through, and all of them were illegal? And if we were able to spend time on that, we were able to see how they, were, they brought in false, false accusations and false words, and people were just slandering. 
And Jesus, oh, the thing that just fascinates me, Jesus was quiet. He was silent through it all. How many of you could be silent when people were accusing you of false things? I can't even be quiet when people are telling me the truth about me. And those who are laughing, you're guilty too. That's his conviction there. I know that. But it's interesting that in Matthew chapter 27, 15 and 16, he says this, Now the feast the governor was accustomed to release a crowd from any, anyone from the prison. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me just start over. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they wanted to have a notorious prisoner called Barabbas released. It's interesting, during this time, the Jewish feast, the Jewish custom was, they were able to have a prisoner released. This is the time that Jesus was going through the crucifix, or going through the trial. He was going to be on trial. They were bringing false things against him. And this guy over here was a notorious thief, a notorious murderer. They had already captured him. And the Jewish people wanted him released instead of Jesus Christ the King. Because the Jewish people were so insulted, the Jewish people were so cut to the heart that someone would claim that they were God. Someone would claim that they are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that they couldn't take it. So they wanted some robber, some murder person, murders, to be able to be released. Do you understand in the scripture right here that you and I are Barabbas? That you and I fit this description. But we were set free. Just as Barabbas was set free, because what Jesus did upon the cross, you and I were set fee free because what Jesus did upon the cross for us. Amen. Oh, but I'll tell you, my friends, many of us say, well, I'm not as bad as Barabbas. I've never been in jail. I've never done things in life, these, these things that are so bad. But it's amazing what Scripture says that when you break one law, it's like you have broken all the laws. So you may have told that one little white fib, guess what, you're a sinner and you deserve to go to hell. That's how it is. I am so thankful I am not God. My patience would be up a long, long time ago. (laughs) With, With people, but also with myself. We have a loving God who wants the very, very best for us. Barabbas went free. And perhaps... We should look at this scripture from Acts chapter 2. It says this, We have also been found guilty of murder. Well, this is Peter talking to to the, the, the Pharisees. On the day of Pentecost, after Jesus' death, Peter explained that we all have killed the Christ. We've all been requiring his blood spilt to cleanse us from our sins. Just as the Roman soldiers tore their garments and put nails upon his hands and upon his feet, you and I are the very ones we're nailing him to the cross because of our sins. My sins put Jesus Christ upon the cross because I, I messed up. I sinned against God. I lied. I cheated. I committed adultery. Whatever is in your life that's brought you to a, recon- to a point that put Jesus upon the cross. I, I tell you, my friends, I don't want to just stay there. It's such a negative thing. Being condemned your whole life. And what Christianity is, is about is not condemnation, but it's freedom in Christ. It's freedom what Jesus did here during this week, this Passion Week, and also next Sunday with the Resurrection Sunday. That's what Christianity is all about. And I will tell you, my friends, go ahead if you want to clap. We should have a little clap. 
I will tell you, my friends, there are so many churches. I have been one of those pastors in the past that have preached sin, 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 hell, hell, hell. But then sometimes we forget about the resurrection, the resurrection, and a new life again. I believe if Christians were living the life that God truly wanted us to live, we would be changing this world. We would no longer be in condemnation. We're no longer living in the past and be sorry for our sins. Because don't you, you know that once you confess your sins, that he remembers them no more? Yeah. And that is a blessing. Amen. And I'll tell you, my friends, that, man, when you got six kids or eight kids, you can't remember what you tell your kids sometimes. <laughs> I mean, my kids have lately told me, well, Dad, didn't we talk about that? You sent me a text or you sent me a memo? No, we didn't talk about that. You know, but I, I feel sometimes like God because I can't remember what's going on in my, my family sometimes. And that's the beautiful thing about God. When you sin and you ask God for forgiveness, he no longer remembers that sin. So who remembers that sin? You and I. The devil brings it up. Well, don't you remember when you did this? Don't you remember when you did this? But God is saying, you didn't do it. You may have to bear the consequences of the sin. Don't get me wrong. You may have to bear the consequences of a person reaps what they sow. Don't like that scripture, do we? Man, I'd rather do what I want and have a happy life, but it doesn't work. All right, so let's go to John chapter 19. This is a scripture point point where Jesus is dying upon the cross. As we look through the crucifixion, he's been beaten. He's been, he's been, uh, he's been had a, a cross, uh, thorns put on his head. He's been whipped. His, his, he's bleeding all over the place. And once again, we, we, sometimes we think church Church is a nice place. We come, we get dressed up, we come, and we have a great time. But sometimes we forget about how messy blood is. And so John chapter 19, I want to focus on this a little more, and then we're going to move on. It says, since it was a day of preparation, so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath. For the Sabbath was a high day. The Jews asked Pilate to take their legs, might be broken, and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and the others who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead. They did not break his legs, but one of the soldiers pierced his heart, or I'm sorry, one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it was bore witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that his, he is telling the truth. That you also may believe, for these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look upon him whom they have pierced. This is, I'm going to read directly from my notes because I don't want to mess this one up. Known as cardia temponade. It happens when a person undergoes enough stress in their life that their heart literally bursts from the strain. When this happens, the blood from the heart mixes with the fluid in the sac that surrounds the heart, known as percutium. That fluid looks like a lot like water, so if you were to pierce the sac after a person dies of cardiac tamponade, then what, see, what you see would be blood and water. Now this makes a sense for a couple of reasons. If I would cut your arm, you would bleed, but you wouldn't bleed blood and water, only blood. The Bible says that when Jesus was on the cross, all the sins of mankind was brought to bear on his body in one place and one time. The only thing that held the body up under the strain of the power of the Son of God. But when Jesus died, he didn't die from the cross itself. It says, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirits. And when he had said this, he breathed his last breath. 
Thus, when Jesus gave up control over his body, it was like snapping a rubber band. All the sins of mankind bore down on a body that was no longer held by his power and made sense that his heart burst. My friends, I want you to understand that every single person from the beginning of time to the very end of our creation of the world, all their sins bore down upon Jesus' body. The weight of the world was upon his heart. Why? Because he loves you. Because he wants that reconciliation of your sinfulness to be slain, to be able to be brought into a relationship where you are a brother or you are a son and and daughter of the king and the high. I want to tell you, my friends, that God is bigger than your sins. And it's easy to say that. It's easy to to verbally, hopefully, try to to make a... um, reconciliation in your mind, but when you're going through difficult times, when you've made a mis- we say mistake, when you've done, when you've made sinful mistakes and you bear the consequences, sometimes it's difficult for us to understand that God loves you even when you're sinning at that very moment. Because I will tell you, no matter what your child does, you will always love them. No matter how hard they are against you, no matter where you go, no matter what they do to you, you as a father, you as a mom, will always love them. I'm getting older. That's why. <laughs> I blame it on my mom. She's emotional. My dad is too. But I think one thing I've learned from them is no matter where you are, you can always come back home. Amen. God is bigger than your sin. He's bigger than your mind, and he's bigger than your heart. We cannot understand or fathom who God is and what God did for us. Many of you may be thinking right now, well, God cannot forgive me of my pornography addiction. God can't forgive me of my sexual addiction. God cannot forgive me of my divorce or the bitterness, the anger, the selfishness, the self-centeredness, gossip, lust, gluttony, greed, laziness, envy, pride. Whatever sin you want to put in that list, there are many times we say in our minds that God can't forgive me or God won't forgive me. Do you realize when we say that, we are calling God a liar? We are saying, God, you may be ultimate power, you may be omniscient, you may be omnipresent, but you don't have a power enough to forgive me of my sins. And my sins, my friends, that's a lie. That's something the devil is planting inside you and we doubt ourselves. Because if God is big enough to take the sins of the world and die upon a cross, and he's big enough to forgive you of your sins, no matter what they are. All right, so 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As I've just spoken about before, this scripture here emulates, it, it declares that Jesus, the perfect person, the perfect one who was able to walk on water, calm storms, raise people from the dead, be able to do all the miracles of the scripture. He was able to become sin in order for you and I not to have sin in our life. That's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And then one more scripture with us, 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the world. 
The reason why we celebrate Easter, the reason why we celebrate Resurrection Sunday, and also their crucifixion, is says, I no longer have to, and I want to say this wrong, I no longer have to be concerned about the sins of my life. Don't, don't get me wrong, please don't think that's a license of sin, or not to re- be remorseful, or not to repent. But the things I've committed in my past, the things I've committed, that God has covered that with his blood. And there's nothing to worry about again. If you, if you would, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. This is not my notes, but I wanted to hit this this morning. And we got plenty of time. <laughs> Michael said this morning, it's, it's a crucifixion Sunday, so seven days. So we have about three hours. So Michael said... Um, I just won't say what, I won't just say what Michael said that. I just referred to Michael. Um, I'm joking. We're good on time. All right, so Matthew chapter 28, one through the following. If you don't have this highlighted in your Bible, if you don't have it highlighted in, in, your, in, your, in your Bible gateway or whatever Bible version you use, I would encourage you to, 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 to highlight this. This, besides the crucifixion week, I think this is one of the most important and passionate verses that there is that we as Christians can, can take to the bank. Matthew chapter 28, 1-5. And after the Sabbath at the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the others, Marys, went down to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. And the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as Jesus said. Come and see the place where he laid. And go, tell his disciples, he is risen from the dead, and go to the Galilee. I want to tell you, my friends, it is a beautiful illustration. I hear you. Oh, and this is cool. All right, let me just completely side note. Um, a lot of times we hear about um, uh, just Christianity not esteeming women, uh, Christianity, putting women down. And this is a lot of the, the liberal um, philosophies out there, that Christ was never for woman. And I want you to understand that most of the major miracles, or this major miracle here, who went to the tomb? The women. Mary and the other women. Yeah, yeah I don't know why I do quotes. <laughs> Look, my wife makes fun of me now because I do quotes. Um, but I want you to see that the very first proclamation, the first, the first declaration that Jesus has been risen was to women. That, amen. That is exciting, my friends. That is so exciting. So I want to just look through the scriptures and you will see how Jesus elevates women in, in a position where they are able to do some mighty things for the, for the work of God. So don't believe the old the old crappy pastors. <laughs> if you know me, crappy's bad. Crappy is bad. Don't believe those old crappy pastors. Hey, women can't do nothing. All right. Not in my notes either, but we're doing good. <clears throat> but if you have not seen that, if you have not, if you, hopefully you guys remember more of my sermon context than you do my little side notes. Hopefully, hopefully you guys remember that more. But I want you to understand that if Jesus had not risen from the grave, if Jesus was not victorious over death, then the crucifixion was for nothing. 
If he was just dead and he was still dead, that would mean absolutely nothing for you and I. That means that death was not overcome, that the grave was still holding him captive, and it means absolutely nothing to the redemption that we have to our Heavenly Father. It is only because Jesus was rose from the grave that he defeated death that we are able to have life and victory in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. That is the only thing. So here's the beautiful thing is that we are saved by grace through faith. Now, I want you to understand here, as we look at the couple of passages here, um, I'm just going to jump down. Do you, it's interesting that do you know who has the most powerful name in the world? Of course, we're a church, so we're in a Christian church. So it's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ's name has the power and the blood that he shed for us to be able to do all things in the world today. That when we call upon the name of Jesus, what shall we do? We shall be saved because of Jesus. When people cuss, whose name do they use? They use the name of Jesus. Why do the people use the name of Jesus when they cuss? Because there's power there. Does that make sense? Have you ever heard someone say, oh, Muhammad? (laughs) Or, oh, I wrote this, oh, Buddha? Or, oh, Michael? Okay, that one we may have heard. Um, But you never hear people claiming from these other religions using their name as a curse word. Why? Because there's no power there at all. People realize, and the devil has used the name of Jesus Christ to use that as a cuss word. There is power in the name of Jesus. And I want to tell you, my friends, oh, please use God's name respectfully. Use it in a way that it would only, only bring glory and, and holiness to his name. Because God is a jealous God. Oh, my goodness. But as we look at Colossians, actually, uh, I'm going to mess up Hannah. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. It says this, There is no salvation, and there is salvation in no one else's name, for no other name under heaven among men by which one must be saved. There is power in the name of Jesus, and only you, only he can cure us from the sins that we have in our lives. I tell you, my friend, James says a sin is like a, a plague. It's like a cancer. It comes in your body and it overcomes you. And if you don't take care of that cancer, if you don't take care of that sin, then it's going to bring death to your life. And only in the name of Jesus you can be saved. So Colossians chapter 2, I'm so sorry, Hannah. Colossians chapter 2, chapter 2, verse 13 and 14 says this. And you who were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcised of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with legal demands that he set aside, nailing it to the cross. I want you to understand, my friends, every sin that you have ever committed, every sin that you're going to commit, it was nailed to the cross and was covered by the blood of Jesus. That you don't have to worry about those sins anymore because you have been saved and sanctified if you receive that gift of salvation. Now, let me give me, give me, okay, in order to receive a gift, what do you got to do? You got to receive it. Have you ever had someone you try to give a gift to and they just won't take it? Yeah, I, several times. But I want you to understand that we are saved by grace alone, and the salvation gift is right there. You just must receive the gift. You cannot go to heaven because your mom and dad went to church. You cannot go to heaven because your mom and dad are Christians. You cannot go to heaven because your husband is a believer. It's a personal relationship between you and our Heavenly Father, and there is no one else. Jesus Christ is the only mediator, the only one that we go through for our salvation. You praise God, you don't have to go to me and Michael. You don't have to tell us all your sins. You don't have to tell us what a horrible person you are. 
Because you go through Jesus Christ and God makes you a new person. He makes you a new child and our Heavenly Father. When he looks at you, guess what he sees? He sees Jesus. He sees you clothed with Jesus Christ. He doesn't see your sinfulness. Most of the time when we look in the mirror, we see, we see this guy or this person, this lady. <coughs> and we see all the crap that we've ever done in our lives. And we think that's a reflection on how God sees us. My friends, when we, when we look in the mirror, we truly should see Jesus. Because we are clothed with him. And that doesn't just stop there. When I look upon my wife, I should see Jesus. When I look upon my children, I should see Jesus. So when we look at each other, we should see Jesus' life within each one of us. God saved you. There's no more embarrassment from your sin. I, I, think, I think that one thing that I, I, str I struggle with is embarrassment. Making sure my life looks good, even though on the, other, on, the, on the other side, on the inside, it may be like crap. Trying to do this fake facade. I'm making sure everyone knows I'm a Christian, I go to church, I love the Lord, read my Bible, those things I do. But there are times in my life that I, I look at my life and think, Lord, how can you use someone like me? God knows what I've done. He knows the sin that I've committed in my life. And how can he use someone like me? Then he brings up the scriptures that I just talked to you about. When he sees me, he sees his son. He doesn't see my, my imperfections. The beautiful thing is he's able to use my imperfections. He's able, able to use the things I never thought he would be able to use in my life, and he is using those for his glory. I, I will tell you, my friends, I am, I am not a great orator. I am not a great preacher, I, I to tell you that. I, I'm a, I'm a down-to-earth kind of guy who just wants to share the gospel with people's lives. But God has used my imperfection. Just, just, when I was in first grade, second grade, I was in speech class. I, just, I couldn't pronounce words at all. It was horrible. Always in the lotus reading classes at school. My, praise God for good teachers and patient teachers because they were very, very patient with me. But to ever think I would stand in front of people without having, uh, I, still get, I still have issues. You know it, you can hear me preach. But God has used my imperfection, he's used my weaknesses for his glory. Amen. And my friends, I want you to understand, whatever your weakness is, God can use that for his glory. He can use and develop that. He's given you gifts. I want to look at one more scripture. Colossians chapter 1, 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the dominion, dominion of darkness and transferred us to a kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of his sins. I want you to understand, my friends, that we have been delivered from darkness to light. We have been delivered from death to life. We have been delivered from darkness into a path that we are able to see the lightness of day through Jesus Christ. 
We have been delivered, my friends, because what Jesus did through the crucifixion, but also the resurrection. Michael gets to preach on the resurrection next week, so I can't go too much into it. But the beautiful thing is that Jesus defeated death for you and for me. That he is no longer in the grave. So i got to conclude here. Because of the gracious act of Jesus, the Son of God, the irons that we have been shackling us for so long have been stripped away from us. The guilt and the shame of sin and no longer entangles us. His sacrifice and resurrection made it possible for God to give us His Spirit, to bring us into His household, the family of God. We are regenerated through a new life, and we are made part of a new family. You, who are believers in Jesus Christ, are sons and daughters of the Most High. You are, you are inheritance heirs of the throne. You are princesses, and you are princes. Amen. You are beloved, beloved children. And God loves you so very much. There's going to be some day that we are going to stand before the Father. And, we're, and people always say, well, when Peter's at the gate and you're at the gate with Peter, why should I let you in? First of all, that's not that's completely theologically wrong. But when you are standing in the throne room of God, and your, your life is before our Heavenly Father, God, God's going to have your name in a book, Lamb's Book of Life, those who have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And when he looks at your life, he's going to see the blood of Jesus Christ covering your life. He's going to say, well done, my good and faithful child. My friends, that's what I want for you. If you have not made that decision to follow Christ, it is my heart's desire that you repent of your sins, you ask God for forgiveness, and you receive that gift of salvation saying, God, Jesus Christ, I cannot do this upon my own. It is only through you that I'm able to be saved. My friends, if you have not made that decision, I pray you'll do that. We're going to have people on the left and people on the right to pray with you. If you want to track someone down that you know is a believer, they will pray with you. This is a time that I truly want you to look at your salvation and where you are with God. Are you a believer or do you just come to church for a social event? Do you just come here because it's a, it's a cool thing to do? Or do you come because you have that relationship with God? That's a decision I want you to make, to have the fullness of life in Christ. We're going to do communion now. And what a perfect day on the Passover, on Palm Sunday, to do communion. I'm just going to give you some directions before I start reading some scriptures. If you guys would come down, these two sections here, come down and kind of make a circle or make a, a half a U. And come back, and if you want to pray somewhere, you, you can. If you want to pray with other believers, if you want to come back to your seat, just make sure we have aisle walkways because we, we have so many people, it's, it's getting congested. Same thing here, if you guys would come and come back around, and you guys go back around there. I um, hope those are clear directions. Hopefully they are. Just follow the person in front of you. Don't stop. Don't block the path. What is, what is communion? I love communion. Communion is the proclamation of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We proclaim that we are celebrating his death. We are celebrating his, his, his crucifixion and, and the resurrection. We are examining our lives on where we are with our Heavenly Father. 
We are examining our lives of what we need to repent of, the sin that is in our life and the sins that we need to be accountable for. About 3,500 years ago, Israel was in slavery in the land of Egypt. God sent Moses to Pharaoh and demanded that he let his people go. The people laughed and mocked the idea, so God called of Israel. Who, who is this God? He should tell me what to do. Who should tell me what to do? So God introduced himself. Over the next few weeks, God brought about nine plagues to Egypt. As many of us know the story. The suffering in Egypt was so profound that priests literally begged Pharaoh to release the Israelites, but Pharaoh still refused. So the Lord had said to Moses, I will bring one of my play, most severe plagues of Pharaoh and in Egypt, and after that they will let you go and hear what he did. Then God instructed Israelites to prepare a special meal, a Passover meal. The main course would be a lamb, a lamb without blemish, a lamb with no broken bones, just as John said. And the blood of the lamb was to be painted upon the doorpost. And God said, on that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animal. And I will bring judgment on gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you and your houses where you are. I will see the blood and I will pass over the house. When God saw the blood of the lamb, he passed over those homes. And when God saw the blood, the death did not visit their homes. The blood of the lamb covered that household. Jesus shed his blood. Shed the blood for the whole world. But I want you to understand, he shed the blood for you. His blood is a covering. A covering of your weaknesses and your failures. The beautiful thing is, when God comes again, he will see the blood that is upon your life and he will pass over you and bring you to an estate where only we, can, only we could imagine where it is. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for the day. Lord, I thank you. Lord, I thank you for the crucifixion. I thank you, Lord. You knew what was going to take place and you still chose to die for each one of us. Lord, I thank you for the blood covering that you have for us. That you do not see our weaknesses, you do not see our failures, but you see the Son of God, the Son of Jesus Christ upon us, God. Thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for the crucifixion. I thank you for our sins being nailed to the cross. But Lord, I'm thankful, so thankful, God, for Matthew 28, where you rose again from the dead. That you were victorious over death, you were victorious over sin. And you brought life to each one of us. Lord, I pray today as we take communion, as we, as we truly meditate upon the crucifixion, God, that we will truly understand how, how messy blood is and what it means to be a Christian. And Lord, I thank you, God, that you have called us to be your children. Lord, I pray that if there's someone here, Lord, that you will just move in their lives that have not accepted that gift of salvation, that you will just flood their hearts with your love. They will flood, you will flood their hearts with the Holy Spirit, and you will show them the God who you are, a loving and merciful God. Lord, I thank you. Thank you, Lord, for this time of communion as we we're able to celebrate your death, the burial, but Lord, also praise God for the resurrection. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.